Tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined by my drinking buddy, Ilary. What are we serving today? Hi, Tim. Um, I've got a whiskey cocktail today. <gasps> Too fancy, I hear it. Mm-hmm. 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 Shaking it for me. Um, yeah, Chris likes his whiskey, so I have a very fancy new whiskey glass that I bought for him. I mean, Santa brought him for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And into that I have poured some whiskey and some amaretto for a godfather. Yes, delightful. Mm. We've, we've mentioned godfather uh, before yes. on this, actually. Mm. I forget what context, but we definitely did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> it's getting to and that point where even I'm forgetting what episode it was now. With this jingly jangly godfather, I'm thinking about Burns Night. It's not of course far away. we... Oh, of course we are. It is Burns Night. It's a, Burns Night is such a great way to get over that idea that you're not supposed to drink in January. I never subscribed <laughs> to that anyway. No, the whole Jan- dry January idea. It's like, well, I would, but Burns Night. So uh, I also <laughs> am drinking a whiskey cocktail. Uh, mm-hmm. My glass is not quite as fancy as yours, actually. It's a free one I got from somewhere. It's got Aperol Spritz written on it. But it, but it is essentially a whiskey glass. Um, and I'm actually, the cocktail I've made is a Robert Burns cocktail. Mm. It's called Robert Burns. I will tell you about that later. Thanks. But uh, first up, I suppose we better talk about the Burns Supper. Because the Burns Supper is is essentially what happens on Burns Night. It can actually happen any time, a Burns Supper. But most famously, it happens on Burns Night. It's a celebration of his life and poetry, the famous Scottish Poet, born on the 25th of January, 1759, died in 1796. Um, I'm not going to really talk too much about the life of Robert Burns, um, only kind of a relevant bit that pertains to drinks and drinking later on. Otherwise, we'd just be talking about lots of sort of suspicious marriages and children. You know, he had, not all of them, all of them survived, but he had like 12 children. Um, and there was a whole section as well where he kind of went and worked as a essentially a slave master on a plantation so i thought let's not do that (laughs) let's ignore all that stuff let's just talk about the party night so burn suppers are normally held on or near the poet's birthday which is 25th of january uh the first supper was held in memoriam at burns's cottage by his friends that was on the 21st of july 1801 which was the fifth anniversary of his death so the first sort of burn supper was, yeah, on, on his death as a memoriam. Um, but it's been a regular occurrence ever since that year. So the first birthday supper followed in the January of 1802. What's that? Seven months later, uh, six months later, something like that. Um, then, though, it was held on the 29th of January because they got the day of his birthday wrong. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, orcs. Uh, but it got corrected the next year. So from the 25th of January, 1803... Pretty much every year we've had a, a Burns Night, a Burns Supper. It's an official holiday, according to Scottish Parliament, 
uh, one of the bits they've said about it in Extract is they believe that the celebration of Burns Night is an opportunity to raise awareness of the cultural significance of Scots and its status as one of the indigenous language languages of Scotland. Um, so that's why it's official, is because it's kind of celebrating all things that, um, particularly in the uh, non-English countries of uh, of the UK, the languages kind of struggle for a bit of recognition sometimes. So that's why they celebrate it so hard. Um, the ceremony then, first of all, a bagpiper, obviously, greets the guests who gather and mix as at any kind of party. And then the host says a few words to welcome everyone and the guests are seated and then they say grace, usually uh, using the Selkirk grace, which is a kind of, uh, it was a well-known thanksgiving that would have been said before meals that uses the Scots language. So the, the Selkirk grace is attributed to Burns usually, but it was already known in the 17th century before that as the Galloway Grace or the Covenanter's Grace. But it came to be known as the Selkirk Grace because Burns uh, delivered it at a dinner that was given by the Earl of Selkirk. So that's why. And it's it's a very simple, um, it's a very simple grace. I do like it. Now, I'm going to have to read things that are written in a Scottish dialect. But I tried earlier to see if I could get away with an accent and the news is I can't. So um, <laughs> it's going to be somewhere in between. Um, the Selkirk Grace is... Some hae meat and canna eat, and some would eat that want it, but we hae meat and we could eat and say the Lord be thank it. That's it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> hmm. So, um, and then the supper starts with the soup course, which will be a Scottish soup of some kind, so Scotch broth or potato soup or cockaliki, <laughs> or um, <laughs> Cullen Skink. Heard of Cullen Skink? I've heard of Cullen Skink. I think yeah, I've seen fishy. it on the Great British Menu programme. Yeah, probably. It's the kind of, mm. like, this is a local thing. It's like every time you go to Wales and someone tries to give you barrow breath. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a fishy. It's like a fishy soup. <laughs> um, so they have their soup, but of course, the main course is the haggis. When the haggis is brought in, there's more piping. There's more, there's more bagpiping <laughs> for the haggis as it's brought in ceremonially. Everyone stands. And Gosh. then, yeah. And then um, there is the address to the haggis. So Robert Burns wrote a poem for the haggis that is is then read out. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, you will recognise the first two lines, possibly. Uh, fair fur, your honest, sonsy face. Sonsy is jolly. Uh, great chieftain of the pudding race. There you go. Um, Everyone's not, heard of I, it as I the... I don't know that. <laughs> Do you not know that? No. Uh, I... I definitely heard um, Haggis called Great Chieftain of the Pudding Race quite a few times, and that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they, they anyway, it's quite it's a much longer poem. They read it out on the ceremony, and, you know, it's emotional. Everyone's crying. We all love the Haggis. Um, a... <laughs> I just feel like, crying. get on with it. I'm hungry. I've, I've made that <laughs> bit up, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a line in the poem, um, his knife sees rustic labour dict. Um, dict means wipe. Okay, sure. uh, the, the, uh, at that point, that's when um, the the speaker, the person who's going to you know open the haggis, takes out and sharpens a knife, and then there's a line and cut you up with ready slicked. Slicked means skill, and that's when they actually cut the haggis open from end to end, and all the goodies come out. 
So do, do, do people do this at home? Like if you were having a, a a dinner party for Burns Night with friends and family, would you have this pomp and circumstance? So in 2021 they did because of the pandemic. There was a real kind of, in, in a way, a resurgence of the Burns Supper because it was so easy for everyone to do it like over Zoom and join in so they could mm-hmm. just watch all the ceremony you know, online and have birthday. So actually there was, perversely, there was a bit of an upsurge of it last year. But mm-hmm. normally it's a very sociable thing. So it's something you would go to, you know, a club or a fancy restaurant for or something like that. There would be official burn suppers. Uh, it's more fun to do in a, a big group, I think. Um, uh, and by the way, um, for anyone kind of wondering about um, like the vegan, my veganness and haggis, um, vegan haggises have been traditional for ages. It's not It's not something that's just come in with all the sort of new Satan Marks and Spencer things. Like you've been able to get <laughs> vegan haggis in Scotland for decades. So they usually have both on offer. You don't have so to what have is a, the version. what is a vegan haggis? Well, so you know like how a normal haggis is basically all sorts of innards cooked in a sheep's stomach with um, uh. oats and spices and things. Um, mm. Just remove, it's like, just remove the animal bits from it. So it's um, oats and nuts and spices um, and onion. So I actually cooked one last year. It's really quite easy to make and it's cheap as well because it's just like cheap, bulky ingredients. And then you just got to put in things like, you know, clove and nutmeg and tasty. Sounds nice. Oh, it's absolutely delicious. I love I love. I, I've always been put off, even when you've suggested vegan haggis, I've always just not been able to get my mindset away from you know traditional haggis it's always freaking mm. out so um yeah oh no it's great you can i mean you can buy vegan haggis in the supermarkets but as i say like it's it's very normal to get it anywhere in scotland so don't feel like you're um bucking a tradition with that right so You've inspired uh, me i'm gonna have a vegan haggis this year yeah give it a go i think you'll like <laughs> it um so at the end of the poem there's a whiskey toast that's proposed to the haggis first and foremost <laughs> they really like they really anthropomorphize this haggis um and then everyone sits down to eat the meal the haggis is traditionally turfed with mashed potatoes tatties and also neeps you know which is mashed swede turnip so mm-hmm. neep, you know neeps comes from turnip but it's actually swede as opposed to the smaller turnips and that's how i have it when i go to scotland and then the dessert course um and cheese courses and coffee etc are part of the meal so it's a big it's a Big, heavy intake of food, let me tell you. Um, and it'd be, it'd be Scottish recipes, so the desserts will usually involve whiskey as well. <laughs> a lot of whiskey is consumed both as a drink and in the food. So it might be like cranachan, you know, cranachan? Like um, cream and oats and whiskey and raspberries usually. Or a tipsy laird. I think you'll like that one. That's a whiskey trifle. <laughs> oh, I love a trifle. <laughs> mm, you like a bit of slop. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then be followed by oat, oat cakes and cheese, all washed down with yet more whiskey. So I thought I'd tell you about some of the toasts that happen uh, throughout mm-hmm. the meal in the ceremony. Uh, this usually happens actually kind of when you're at the end of the food and you're at, well, they call it the coffee stage, but I mean, it's still got whiskey in it, let's face it. So first of all, you toast to the immortal memory. This is after you've toasted the haggis. Uh, the main speaker gives a speech remembering some aspects of um, Robert Burns's life and or poetry, and it might be serious, it might be light-hearted. I think it depends on how much whiskey you've had at that point, um, and will probably include some sort of recitation of a, a, a poem or a song by Burns. And then you toast to the immortal memory of Robert Burns. 
Then there are more toasts. So the first comes, now, hold on to your seat, address to the lassies. So you're going to think that this is uh, just going to be horribly, like, sexist and old-fashioned. So it was a short speech given by a male guest in thanks to the women who had prepared the meal. Um, but actually, it's kind of, it's more wide-ranging, and it's it, it goes on to, like, the male speaker's whole view on women. <laughs> thanks for the food get back in the kitchen now yeah exactly but but no actually it's normally funny it's not meant to be offensive it's meant to be quite funny and then it and they drink to the women's health and then it's followed by a reply from the lassies so they do balance it out and actually i feel like it's better to go second because then you can reply to everything they've done but then one up them yeah absolutely. (laughs) so they have toast to the laddies Um, so a female guest gives her view on men and replies to any specific points raised by the previous speaker and again it's usually amusing and not offensive Um, and what they will often do is obviously collaborate with each other beforehand so that they know what they've got in store then that follows more works by Burns so after the speeches you'll be singing songs probably uh, like a fond kiss or a man's a man Um, or poetry so you might have read to a mouse uh, or to a louse, or anything else that rhymes with that. <laughs> and that might be done by kind of individual guests, or sometimes, I guess, if you go to one of like the bigger parties now, they'll invite speakers down, proper people, actors, and so forth, uh, to come and do it. And they might do other works that have been inspired by Burns as well, so they can, they get quite a lot of freedom with how they put the evening together. Um, and also, if you've got any, if they've got any foreign guests that have come along, they'll be invited to sing or say works from their homeland as well. So it's actually quite a, it can be quite an expansive, you know, welcoming, fun thing. I don't think it's as solemn as some depictions have uh, have made it seem. <laughs> shall we Shall we move back to uh, the core beverage of uh, scotch? So I'll tell you a little bit about that. Are we going to talk about Belfast? About Belfast? Buckfast. A Buckfast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not on this occasion, but we definitely are going to, um, okay. in a future episode, but I feel like it's one for when we're together and I can watch you drink it. It's just when you said it's the main drink, you know? Right, sure, yeah, that, that, that main drink that, um, does not come from Scotland. Um, <laughs> so, the story of Scotch begins, uh, as early as the 15th century, actually, uh, the earliest documented record of distilling in Scotland comes in. 1494 so just in the 15th century and then the first taxes on scotch were introduced in 1644 which then led to a huge boom in illicit whiskey distilling across scotland Um, and then smuggling just became the standard practice for the next 150 years so there are lots of exciting stories of smuggling but i think we should dedicate a whole episode to smuggling because it's quite wide-ranging um so amongst uh, these these official tax collectors of whiskey who were driving so many people to do illicit things, one of the most well-known tax collectors of the 18th century was Robert Burns. Um, yeah, so that's that's the link of Robert Burns to, um, to booze, at least in kind of in his history that I want to pick up. He trained as an excise man before turning his attention to writing. Uh, so in 1785, in fact, Burns wrote a poem called Scotch Drink, which was his ode to whiskey 
and the nature of happiness and community and cooperation and warmth and friendliness and all this sort of stuff. He was very behind kind of making whiskey a Scottish thing along with all the folk sort of history and traditions that he was trying to popularise there to help Scotland kind of have an identity that was distinct from England because actually the taxes he was collecting were very unpopular in Scotland and, you know, had largely kind of come from England, which caused no end of strife. So uh, I've got an extract from the poem, which I will attempt to read. Um, <laughs> o thou my muse, grid, grid, I think that's good, but good old Scotch drink. Good, let's say good. O thou my muse, good old Scotch drink, whether through wimpling worms thou jink, or richly brown ream o'er the brink, in glorious fame inspire me till I lisp and wink to sing thy name. Thank you. It's impossible to read these without attempting something that sounds a bit Scottish, otherwise it just sounds I'm even enjoying weirder. it. I think you're doing a very good job. Thanks, I would mate. not have been able to do this. <laughs> I, might, I might make you... Re- I should have made you read that one, shouldn't I? Damn. I'm just going to sound like an one angry... Is... Yeah, I just sound like an angry Shrek. I love, I love your Scottish accent, because all you do is get angry. It doesn't sound like yeah. any other accent on earth. It's so offensive. <laughs> <laughs> if I've got another one, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, so, by the 1820s, there were as many as 14,000 illicit stills uh, that were being confiscated every year. <laughs> and more than half the whiskey consumed in Scotland was illicit. So this is how big this illicit trade was. Half of the whiskey in Scotland, 14,000 stills a year were being confiscated. Sounds like very much a full-time job. <laughs> so, in 1823, they passed the Excise Act. Because at this point, you know, people in the House of Lords are like, this is really stupid. This isn't working. Um, So that sanctioned the distilling of whiskey in return for a licence fee of £10 and set a payment per gallon of proof spirit. And then smuggling died out almost completely over the next decade. Um, And in fact, most of the kind of big distilleries that you would know today are on the sites that were used by smugglers uh, two centuries ago. So they've maintained that. When a lot of them will say, oh, we've been officially open since this date, which is usually in the 1820s when it became legal, but they'll have been going long before then. <laughs> um, you know, anyone anyone who's wondering about how to tackle things like drug policy uh, between making things illegal and making them legal, look throughout history. It's never worked to just like make things illegal, just regulate them, whatever they are. Um, okay, hot off my high horse. Um, 1831, <laughs> Aeneas Coffee invents the patent still, which enabled continuous process of distillation to take place. So it meant that um, rather than just having malt whiskey, which is quite an intense spirit, it led to the production of grain whiskey, which has a lighter flavour. Um, and when it was blended with kind of more of the fiery malts, it meant it was more popular to a wider market. So that's one of the things that really popularised it. As well as becoming legal, it was that they now made it with grains, not just malts, so it was less intense. And then, during the 19th century, um, the really kind of big names in whiskey started exporting globally. So James Buchanan, Tommy Dewar, Johnny Walker, James Chivas. Uh, and they really kind of went out to all the British Empire and beyond. And that's where we see the start of whiskey becoming popular in every nation it also coincided with the phylloxera beetle um have you heard of that nope phylloxera is what really devastated the french vineyards 
and they had been really popular, not just for wine, but also brandy. And it was, so it was around the 1880s that wine and brandy, the brandy kind of disappears from cellars around the world and it gets replaced with whiskey instead because it was much more available and they'd gone through a crisis. By the time, you know, the industry had recovered from phylloxera, whiskey had just kind of replaced brandy completely as the preferred spirit of choice for most people. So there we go. It was a bit of, bit of sort of chance and plague that um, helped to get popular. Um, in the 20th century, one kind of little thing, it was exempt from US prohibition if you had a medical note. So not, not all alcohols were, but whiskey was always seen as medicinal. So I know quite famously Winston Churchill had one from his doctor when he went over to the US during uh, Prohibition times. He had a note to the doctor saying he's allowed to drink whiskey. Do <laughs> <laughs> you getting a doctor's note for something to that effect? Please, yeah. Mary needs <laughs> this alcohol. Mm-hmm. She really does. You wouldn't want to meet her without it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so today's Scotch whiskey, not, not just whiskey in general, but Scotch whiskey, by the way, spelled W-H-I-S-K-Y. There's no E in it like you get with um, American and Irish ones. Uh, it must, by law, be distilled and matured in Scotland in oak casks for at least three years and bottled at a minimum alcoholic strength of 40% ABV. Every second, 42 bottles of scotch are shipped from Scotland across the globe. Every second? Every second, 42 bottles winging their way around the world. I so know this it. is really bad, but my instant thought was, do you remember that horrible advert where... It might have been like Bob Geldof when he was like snapping his fingers. Oh yeah, <laughs> they don't do it. Kit, like, yeah, I'm not going to say it loud. <laughs> well, he said, he said every time like, I snap my fingers, a child dies, and then someone was like, well, "Stop doing it, then." <laughs> <laughs> and we could just make it nicer now. Every time I snap my finger, a shitload of whiskey gets bought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every time I snap my finger, forty-two bottles of scotch are shipped from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, someone needs to do that someone needs to make be daring enough to make that advert um, <laughs> say no to poverty kids right um, there is a Robert Burns whiskey a single malt which is made by the Isle of Arran distillers it's the only whiskey company um, to produce a single malt which is officially endorsed by the World Burns Federation so they're allowed to use his name and his face uh, and that's because it's the closest distillery to uh, the birthplace of Robert Burns. So he was he was born in Alloway in Ayrshire, which is on the mainland of Scotland, not the Isle of Arran, but they're they're very close. So it's actually the nearest one, even though it's you have to kind of go a ferry ride away. I have been to the Isle of Arran distillery. Um, have you? Sure. I have. I have. Have it's you tasted the Burns whiskey? Uh, I did. I did it. I had a, a tasting at the end of like a little tour when I was there. That was one of them. It was delicious. Um, I even tried their sort of pre-matured, uh, pre-matured eighty percent APV. And he was like, "Be careful. Just just dip your finger in, have a little taste." I was like, "That's no, fine. <laughs> it's nice." Chin it. <laughs> Chin it. Yeah. It's like, Please don't. Um, it's very, it's very beautiful. I mean, the Isle of Arran is stunning anyway. They sort of say that it's Scotland in miniature on an island because you've got all the sort of different landscapes. And the distillery is on the north side of the island. Um, so it was kind of, a, you had to, I had to get a train from Glasgow, a ferry to the island, and then a bus to the north of the island. So it was, a, it was an effort. It was a trip. 
But um, once you're there, it's at the foot of these hills and you can see eagles flying above and there's water and it's just stunning. Yeah. Very Game of Thrones. <laughs> Did you, um, yeah, well, that was Northern Ireland. Did you have to get a ferry? Did you have mm-hmm. to get a ferry after the 80%? Oh, yeah, yeah. After, after, I mean, I went there, did the tasting, went, oh, pretty nature, then had to get on the bus, come back, oh. ferry back, train back. All My belly would But I was very warm down. and toasty by that point. It was nice. <laughs> I remember nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd have, you'd have missed all of those transport connections anyway, oh, so yeah. your story would have been different. I'd have been um, in some eagle's nest somewhere, just passed out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's a, it's a very it's a very nice place, Oliver. So, what can you make with your Robert Burns uh, whiskey? Well, you can make a Robert Burns cocktail. Mm. So, this is what this is what I'm drinking essentially. Now, there are actually different versions of this. So, the first one to be called the Robert Burns cocktail is Scotch whiskey, uh, sweet vermouth, bitters, and absinthe. A little dash of absinthe. Um, that sounds the, <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's all just alcohol in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there was a drink earlier than that called Bobby, like Bodacious Bobby or Bobby the Bodacious, <laughs> which instead of absinthe was Benedictine. And it seems like at some point Bodacious Bobby turned into Bobby Burns, not the Robert Burns. And they've sort of been conflated and mixed. And so kind of the history is a little bit mixed there. But so sometimes you'll find a Robert Burns that has absinthe. Sometimes you'll have it with um, Benedictine. I've even seen a, a version that uses Drambuie. But um, what it is based on is initially it's a Manhattan. So a Manhattan is uh, whiskey and vermouth with bitters when you use, you know, um, a, a bourbon, an American whiskey. When you replace it with a Scottish whiskey, a Scotch, it's a Rob Roy. Rob Roy, in case you don't know, was a sort of Scottish folk hero and outlaw. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's adapted from a Rob Roy into a Burns cocktail, I guess, when you add an extra sort of NEC herbal type um, liquor to it as a dash. Yeah. And, so of course, you, you, you can also... Oh, well, I didn't have any absinthe, but I had something that tasted a bit uneasy, so I've put that in. So it's a version. Of, it's as close as I'm going to get to a Robert Burns cocktail <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, a hot toddy. Mm, Ideal at this time of year, particularly. So hot toddy is a family of drinks, really. We, we know it as containing whiskey here i think if you said hot toddy in this country people would just assume you're gonna get hot whiskey but it can be any um any spirit really mixed with hot water um honey um in some recipes you add sugar as well it could be herbs it could be tea it could be spices it's almost always served hot as a hot toddy but you can get iced toddies as well uh there's a story about about the name uh, about the origin that it comes from a spring at arthur's seat in edinburgh arthur's seat is like a um, a big hill, essentially, that you climb up when you go to Edinburgh on a morning when you you need refreshment. So there's a spring there, and if you ask some people around there, oh, where does hot toddy come from? They might give you that story. But actually, the word toddy um, is Indian. So the the toddy drink in India was pr- produced by fermenting the sap of palm trees, and you can get hot toddies over there as well that are made with like a coconut spirit. 
so its earliest known use to mean a beverage made of alcoholic liquor with hot water, sugar and spices comes from 1786. But that is based on the uh, Indian tradition. Um, do you think a hot toddy cures the common cold? Absolutely not, but that's not going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there are no cures for the common cold, <laughs> but obviously you can treat the symptoms. So a hot toddy does contain some ingredients that might be able to reduce some of the cold symptoms. Lemon, honey, hot water. Lemon for the increase in vitamin C. Obviously, that's better before you get the cold <laughs> to, to prevent you from getting it, but it can it can shorten the duration of the symptoms. Um, honey, as well, has kind of antiseptic qualities. And then any hot drink, whatever it is, has been shown to kind of relieve congestion and cold symptoms and stuff. So you can have any hot drink and it'll do you good. Um, adding spices such as ginger, for example, which I always do, will have benefits. Ginger is actually really good for nausea. That That is proven. If you get nausea with a cold, I mean, if you don't, you know. Uh, but there's no evidence at all to suggest that alcohol helps with any symptoms. Doctors do recommend that you avoid <laughs> drinking alcohol when you have a cold or flu oh, because it reduces off. your immune system function and may make the cold worse. Whatever. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Morgan, for your input. <laughs> Bore off. <laughs> Just put a shot of whiskey in a glass, put some lemsip in there, hot water. <laughs> do, do not mix paracetamol with alcohol. <laughs> just, Dr. McAvoy's going to have a little, a little comeback to Dr. Morgan's advice about whiskey and lemsip. I'm all for a hot toddy when you have a cold, to be honest. I, I think it's good, but yeah, I would avoid the lemsip. So I should, I should close this supper. I didn't, I didn't tell you what happens at the end of the supper yet. I've been leaving it for the oh, end okay. of the podcast to be super appropriate. Um, are you ready for it? Yes. <laughs> so the host uh, calls on one of the guests to give the vote of thanks. Then everyone is asked to stand, join hands and sing Old Lang Syne. Hmm. Um, no, I didn't quite pronounce the S right that time. Old Lang Syne. It's a hard S, Old not Lang a Z. Syne. We tend in this country to sing Old Lang Syne, but it's Old Lang Syne. I'll forget that by tomorrow as well. Um, which I keep trying to remember, but it's hard to break a habit, isn't it? <laughs> um, so we mostly know it for New Year's Eve, um, but many formal occasions worldwide, including funerals and actually the scouting movement at the close of their jamborees, sing it it's used a lot for all sorts of different occasions all over the world the the text is the scots language poem written by robert burns in 1788 but it is based on an older scottish folk song uh so in 1799 it was set to that traditional tune that we know which has become the standard um the title old lang syne uh, is translated kind of broadly as old long since or long long ago or in some Scottish folk tales it just means once upon a time so it's that kind of vibe a long time ago basically uh, do you remember can you sing it shall we sing it God, I can remember a bit <laughs> should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind, mind. 
Should old acquaintance be forgotten? The delay on this is cracking me up. I was trying to sing it, you're about a second behind. So I slowed down and then you stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Chorus, go. For old land sign, my dear, for old land sign, we'll take a cup of kindness, something old land sign. <laughs> That's basically the um, English and Welsh version. The uh, the Scottish version is uh, for old land sign, my Joe. But they say Joe instead of dear, which, by the way, is a really good word to have in your pocket for Scrabble if you've got a J that you can't get rid of. Oh, uh, okay. For old lang syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for old lang syne. So, yeah, basically. Joe. But I just, I wanted to let you know that Joe is a valid word in Scrabble because I use it a lot. Um, the tune, actually, uh, the, the Scottish folk tune, because it's on the pentatonic scale, it's quite readily adopted by lots of countries in East Asia. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's become like their nationalist anthem of some variety. I think it was like the national anthem of South Korea for a while. And it's like this in praise of the king of Thailand and um, all these sorts of things. So it's quite odd if you're and uh, they, like very often they don't know it was originally a Western tune. So it's quite odd if you're over there hearing Old Lang Syne, but it's actually like a patriotic song of the East. Pentatonic hmm. scale, your musical, tell me. The pentatonic scale? Mm-hmm. What, what about it? <laughs> what, what, I just thought it might explain what it is. Um, it's five notes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Five notes in the scale <laughs> rather than eight in an octave. I didn't. I mean, I didn't think that was going to be such a moment. <laughs> I, was just, I just thought I just I'd explain panicked. it for people who didn't know what it was. <laughs> it's just. It just means just like that <laughs> a lot of a lot of music in the East kind of understands a pentatonic scale more than they do in like a traditional octave in the West. That was all. But I've made a meal of that. Um, so New Year's <laughs> Eve. Do you remember? I mean, you're probably only four years old, but do you remember the Eve of the Millennium? Um, at the Millennium Dome, oh, when God. the I don't Queen like was there. So, oh, I don't like talking about the Millennium Dome. Oh, that okay. was the night that ruined anything peach flavored for me. Oh, that was the night that destroyed peaches. <laughs> oh no. I I don't think I've spoke. Have I spoke about this on the podcast? I don't know. Make don't it know. brief and not too graphic. Okay, long story short, I was not four years old. I was a teenager. Um, but I'd been told I could have a few drinks, but not too many. And I thought, well, I'll sneak a few more. And I only snuck maybe like two more. So I'd have like maybe four drinks. But what I didn't realise, because I'm an idiot, instead of mixing um, like lemonade or flavoured sparkling stuff to my vodka, I was mixing it with um, peach schnapps. So I drank four glasses of vodka and peach snaps. And so yeah, grim. I don't even need to get graphic. You know what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know we know the rest of that story. And now you can't even look at a peach. <laughs> yeah, not not, <laughs> not just even peach nuts. not even a nice bum. Not even a nice bum Nothing, she can't look not, at. Well, sometimes I can, but yeah. 
Nothing so, scented or peach flavored. I don't. I don't know if you remember this. This thing then from the Millennium Eve coverage. But they were in, as it was called then, the Millennium Dome, and everyone sang "Let It Be." Uh, but they obviously sang "Old Lang Syne," and people, you know, crossed their hands and held hands uh, to do it. And the Queen was pictured, and she hadn't crossed her hands, and everyone else had. And the media were like. Oh, look at this idiot. She hasn't crossed her hand. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I don't remember anything from that one. Okay. <laughs> I thought it would be a stretch to, to, to ask did you. But... She, did she try and, like, wing it as, like, I'm the queen, I do what I want? Well, she, I, to my knowledge, she didn't actually say anything about it, but all the newspapers were like, oh my gosh, she's clearly never done this before. However, the queen was correct, because that ah, is the Scottish way coming. of doing it. Yeah. Myth busted. Mm-hmm. Mythbusted. Mythbusted. Um, so, Hogmanay, as it is in Scotland, um, it's common practice. Everyone joins hands with the person next to them to form a great big circle around the dance floor. And then, and, and by the way, the tempo is much faster generally in Scotland. I find that all kind of like official songs, national songs in England turn into a drone. Like they just get slower and slower every generation. God save Grace, <laughs> etc. But it's it's more it's a basically it's more of a song you can dance to in Scotland. So everyone's on the dance floor holding holding hands, and then at the beginning of the last verse is the line, "And there's a hand, my trusty fear, and gives a hand of thine," and that's when everyone crosses their arms over so that the right hand reaches out to the neighbour on the left, and vice versa. And then when the tune ends, everyone rushes to the middle, still holding hands, and then they turn under their arms that they're facing outwards with their hands still joined. Hmm. Make sense? That's nice, yeah. Yeah. I bet the Queen so, was like, heathens. <laughs> oh, I mean, 100%. I mean, you know she spends a lot of time in Scotland, and there's no doubt she'll have done it the proper way in the past. So, I mean, obviously they... They couldn't all run into the middle in the Millennium Dome. That would have been a really big circle. But um, <laughs> still, you know, it is interpreted that you're supposed to cross arms um, from the beginning in this country. But that is not so. And now you know. And you can try it at your next Hogmanay. Sure. <laughs> and so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to burn this place to the ground. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Still got my whiskey. I think that's the first time I've still had a drink Wherever I may roam, or land or sea or home, you can always hear me sing in this song. Show me the way to go home. I can't. It's just going to turn into Irish a lot. <laughs> that's, that, that's what we all want. <laughs> Please entertain. Oh, dance, okay, monkey. Right. Dance. <laughs> Don't cancel me, everyone. Okay. <clears throat> okay. I can't, like, can you just, like, say the first line just to, like, give me some inspiration? <laughs> we sleek it cowering timorous beastie. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We sleek it cowering timorous beastie. Or oh, what panics in thy breastie. Thou need na start our sight. Hasty, <laughs> we bicker in brattle. 
I wad be laith to rin a chasty, we murdering paddle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that little no, ill opinion. <laughs> and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle. At me, thy poor earthborn companion and fellow mortal. I doubt now, Wiles, but thou my thieve. What then, poor beastie, thou mon leave? A diamond icker in a thrave. What is that? <laughs> Audible hopes you've enjoyed this recording. Sasmas. <laughs> <laughs> what is that word there? Sasmas request. It's, it, it's, I'll get your it means is a small request, so it's a small request. Ah, okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Why is it, it's written like Satsuma without the T. Come on. It's a small request. Okay. It's a small request. I'll get a blessing with the lave and never miss it. Thy wee bit see too in ruin. It's silly was the winds are strewing. And nothing now to a big new one. Or foggage green, and bleak December's winds in swin. Bay snell and keen. Thou saw the fields laid bare and waste, and weary winter coming fast, and cosy here beneath the blast, thou thought to dwell, till crash, the cruel coulter passed, outthrow thy cell. Thy wee bit heap o' leaves and stibble, has cost thee money, oh, has cost thee money a weary nibble. Now thou's turned out for a thy trouble, but how so hold to thole thy winter's sleety dribble, and Cranach called. But mousy thou art thou thy lane, in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes o' mice and men gang after ugly, and layers no thought but grief and pain for promised joy. Still thou art blessed compared with me, the present only toucheth thee. But och, I backward cast my e, o prostrate drear, and forward though I canna see, guess and fear. Oh God, it was, I'm sorry everyone. I mean, I, it was a very good och, I'll give you that. <laughs> you, put, you put some Welsh guts into that och. Och. <laughs> I think I could see there were only three lines and it was like, a, oh, thank God for that. I feel like there was... <laughs> No better way to honour the memory of the immortal Robert Burns than um, than what you just did. Yeah, Sars Burns. <laughs> <laughs>